All right, our text today is in Mark chapter 11, and normally at this point, I would, would read through this, but today we're going to um, enter into the text in a different way, in a more creative way, and so uh, direct your attention to the screen and watch this video, and then Albert will come and, uh, and teach us from Mark 11. Jesus. So we're going to be talking about glam rock this morning. Let's pray. Lord, a um, very pivotal section in the scriptures, and we're hoping to get a feeling for that, uh, to know that in our heads, that in this transition, where much earlier in the Gospels, you were talking about going to, up to Jerusalem, and here it is. And so we ask, God, that you would help us to sense uh, what you want us to feel and gather from this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Welcome to our Palm Sunday service. We're just about 11 weeks late, but um, it's a passage, actually, that many of us are really familiar with, and um, I think when we tend to be familiar with a passage, we tend to kind of... Uh, tune out. So my, my hope is that you'll receive something fresh, fresh this morning from, from this passage. So let's just start right into it and we'll read just uh, verses 1 through 6. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. I, I read this, and sometimes I just kind of picture it in my head as a movie as to what was going on, and so I, sometimes I wonder, was this a supernatural revelation that these cult owners had from God, or, 
or, or what was going on here. And so I, I try to do a kind of present day scenario in, in, our, in our world here. And so imagine trying to do this with someone's bike in Oakland, <laughs> right? Like m many of us have had our bikes stolen at some point, yes? Yes, uh, anybody have your hands? Welcome to the club. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Um, I, I, I totally feel your pain. And so for those of us, uh, when our bikes got stolen, we, we probably didn't see the person take it, right? We, we, we probably came out and found that our bike w was gone. But imagine if someone came over to your bike, say you were at uh, Grand Lake Kitchen or something, or you know Rudy's, and you had your bike outside, and, and you're watching all of this unfold it, right in front of you, where someone starts messing with your lock and starts kind of like taking it. You'd, you'd probably say something like, "Like, what are you doing?" Right? Or, or you'd say something, and some of you, I know that some of you, especially the ones that don't look like it, would have a colorful word or two for that. I, yeah, like you're the ones that we really need to look out for, the ones that don't look like. Like, who's laughing the hardest? That's probably the one. <laughs> what if the person that was trying to take your bike said, the Lord has need of it. <laughs> and, 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 and so I, I can take it, right? So those of you who are more holy and righteous and recognize the scriptures would probably say, yes, you're right, take it, you know. And, and those others of us from Oakland, we've got, hell a no. Like, no. You know, that's. <laughs> so for me, like when I'm reading this, I, I actually don't think that this was some sort of special revelation uh, to the cult owners uh, that God gave it to them. It seems like this was all kind of pre-planned by Jesus. And that he, he provides a lot of details to these two disciples, like, like in verse 2. And of course, an argument can be made that Jesus uh, had, these, uh, super, had these things supernaturally done, and he let those people know. Either way, it doesn't really matter. I'm just kind of pointing something out. It, it doesn't take away from Jesus' divinity. But in, in addition to these details, such as where to find the cult, and, and that Jesus provided this detail about the cult that, that no one was to sit on this cult. No one sat on this before. Now, why is this significant? Well, when a working animal like a cult was to be put into royal service, it, it wasn't from the same cult lot that produced working cults. It's kind of like the president's car, the beast, right? It, it wasn't made at just any Cadillac uh, manufacturer. It was like specially made for him. And so the, these cults were designated for royal service. They were set aside just for their royal duties and, and to be used for those duties and not these other duties of a, a, a labor animal or an animal of burden or anything like that. So no one else was allowed to ride them, and, and they weren't to be used for labor. So this colt will be such an animal, never ridden, never worked. And when the colt owners asked what they were doing, they told them what Jesus had said, and then they let them go, which leads me to believe that Jesus worked it out with those guys beforehand, went to the cult lot and said, hey, I'm going to have these guys come in, they're going to say this, and then just give it to them, okay? And so here's the money, we're going to return the cult, okay? That's just my idea, and 
Take it or leave it. It's not really that important. Just an observation. Verses 7 through 10. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. The way Jesus entered Jerusalem here is really, really uncharacteristic of Jesus. Because Jesus usually moved away from the limelight, right? You recall all these different miracles that Jesus did. He, he tended to move towards privacy. Now, why is that not the case here? It was time. It was time for his public reveal that he, he is Messiah and, and he was at Jerusalem and just Jesus sitting on a colt never sat upon. This is a sign of this. Now this sign was a confrontational declaration to the re- religious establishment here, especially to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And it, and it wasn't until after this moment that the disciples understood that the prophecy of Messiah was being fulfilled. Take a look at John chapter 12, verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So it took a while for the, even the disciples to understand what was happening, but, but it does not seem like they recognized it, but some others did. Back to verses 8 through 10, we read that they spread their cloaks and the branches on the road and shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This was a way people recognized the king in the Old Testament. You can take a look at 2 Kings chapter 9. There's a reference to how this was done. This is talking about King Jehu. Starting in verse 1. Then Elisha the prophet called one of the sons and the prophets and said to him, Tie up your garments and take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. And when you arrive, look there for Jehu the son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi, and go in and have him rise from the, among his fellows and lead him to an inner chamber. Then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Now skip down to verse 13. Then in haste. Every man of them took his garments and put it under him on the bare steps. And they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. But instead of saying, Jesus is king, they shouted, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Which was what the pilgrims shouted as they were going up to Jerusalem from Psalm 118. Now people were really excited about Jesus' arrival and with good Reason. Because just before this, Jesus healed the blind beggar Bartimaeus. Remember, we talked about this last week. Who cried out to Jesus as the son of David. And so there were people who heard that cry from Bartimaeus. And so it continued on to Jerusalem. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father of David, Hosanna in the highest. Verse 10 of Mark 11. Now, people were beginning to grab hold of Jesus being Messiah, especially those who were familiar with the prophecies of the Messiah. And we're just going to talk briefly about three of them. There's one in Genesis. Genesis 49, verse 10. 
and we'll read through verse 13. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine, and his vests vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth are whiter than milk. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. Zechariah chapter 9, starting in verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow, bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And here's a last one I'll share. There's actually hundreds of them. We're just going to talk about three. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 18. On that day the deaf will hear words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. They just saw the healing of blind Bartimaeus. And here they witness the prophecies from Isaiah, Zechariah, Genesis starting to make sense for some, right? The, the Old Testament is filled with prophecies about Jesus, over 300 of them, close to 400. And those who know the scriptures are starting to see this, and it's all coming to life for them. A donkey's colt. Genesis and Zechariah, the healing of Bartimaeus, that's Isaiah. I mean, is this it? Is this it? The ones welcoming Jesus recognize this, and I, I don't think it's the same people who shout crucify him inside of the Jerusalem walls. This is a different group of people who, who started connecting the dots, and I think that these people that start connecting the dots are actually the foundations of the early church. These were the people outside of Jerusalem. And so the people who shout crucify him are inside Jerusalem, and Jesus didn't enter Jerusalem until verse 11. Verse 11, and he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So those who were with Jesus, they cut branches in the fields and they lay them on the road. Like, have you seen that video clip? I remember watching that as a, as a kid. You know, um, some of you I know weren't even close to being born, but I was a kid when that was showing on television, like primetime television. And I remember them waving those branches and stuff, and then I asked my dad, like, where'd they get those from, Dad? And he was like, oh, you know, it's just, uh, they just get them. And I'm like, yeah, but there's no trees around. Like, how do they get those? And so, see, you can't do that inside Jerusalem. There aren't these fields inside of the city walls. The fields are outside of the city walls. And the scriptures tell us that they were cutting them down, so it's outside, right, as they were entering. So, so the people who recognized Jesus, who shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Those are people outside of the city walls. Now, why the difference between the people inside Jerusalem and those outside Jerusalem? I think it's this. I think it's expectations. That the people outside of Jerusalem shouted, Hosanna, which means save us. Save us. 
a, a spiritual salvation which, of course, affects what happens in this world. But those inside the walls, they, they expected a political salvation. They expected a national salvation from this Roman oppression. They, they wanted to be in power. They wanted the Romans to be overturned. They wanted to be back in power. They wanted to rule their own earthly kingdom. And so if you've been with us the past several weeks, you already realize that they've completely missed what Jesus has taught. They missed all of these different scriptures from Mark. Let's start in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? They miss this, Mark 9, verse 35. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. 10:15. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. 10:31. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Lastly, Verses 42 through 45. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be the servant first among you must be slave of all. And even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many." And so those inside the Jerusalem walls, they, they don't understand this. And here's the fascinating thing. They are the ones closest to the temple. They are the ones who are supposedly closest to God because they believe God dwelled in the temple. And they are the ones that don't get this. And yet it's those outside of the walls who understand this. And so the people inside, I think they were the same people who have tried to crown Jesus as king before. They were the people that after the feeding of the 5,000 said to Jesus, or in John chapter 6, verse 14, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. See, this is the wrong type of king. This is not who Jesus came to be. They were looking for a Messiah that would be an earthly king who would topple the Roman Empire, who would deliver them from the Roman oppression and then put the, the, the Israelites, the Jews, back in power again. And that's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to change things forever, not just temporarily. He came to change the entire projection of history. Jesus said in John chapter 18, verses 36 and 37, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, and I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. But even the disciples don't fully understand what Jesus came to do. Even after the resurrection. Acts chapter 1 verse 6. So when they all had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? 
See, they're, they're still thinking about overturning the existing earthly kingdom. And they're not thinking about the heavenly kingdom. Now back to verse 11 here. Jesus entered Jerusalem and, and he went into the temple. He looked around at everything and it, it was late. So he went to Bethany for the night with, his, with the disciples. What do you think Jesus thought as he was looking around at everything? And if you read ahead, you know Jesus wasn't happy with what he saw. Why is that? Because this was his father's house. This was to be a house of prayer for all the nations, and it was made to be a den of robbers. So I want to just to take a few minutes of pause right now and for us to pray. For us to kind of look inside of ourselves and to see how we've made church something that possibly what a person inside of the Jerusalem walls would have done. And for us to actively step outside and to see Jesus for who he really is. And so if we could just pause for a moment, we're just going to, this is probably going to be uncomfortable because silence of like 30 seconds is uncomfortable. We're going to take a few minutes, like two, three minutes. And if you would maybe gather with somebody around you, just like two, three people, and, and pray, pray about these things, about how maybe we've become inside the wall Christians and and how we need to move outside to recognize Jesus for who he is. Let's just take a few moments to do that. Father, we ask for forgiveness for any which way we have misrepresented you. We see the mistakes the disciples make over and over again, going against another person who was casting out demons in your name. And yet you said if they're not against you, that they're for you. We see how they kept children from coming to you and how sometimes the church keeps the weak, the vulnerable, the powerless from coming to you. And so we ask for forgiveness for that. Lord, we 
keep people from recognizing you as who you are because as Peter confessed that you are the Christ, yet he rebuked you for suffering and dying and the resurrection. And Lord, sometimes we want to recognize you as a God from our own mind, but not who you really are. So Lord, would you, Holy Spirit, work in each one of us to see these scriptures more clearly? In Jesus' name, amen. See, I, I wonder how Jesus would view our church if he were to walk in here and, and just kind of look around at everything. Because, you see, many people inside Jerusalem, they knew their scriptures. And they seemed really devoted and passionate about following God, yet they missed Jesus. They missed God in the very flesh right in front of them. They missed that. You see, we can know our Bibles really, really well, and we can be so devoted and passionate about following God and miss Jesus. Because knowing our Bibles on an intellectual, academic level doesn't equate to knowing Jesus in this intimate and communal way where we are transformed more and more in the likeness of him. There are, there are a lot of people who can quote the Bible but what they say isn't said out of love. And sometimes it is hate-filled. And that is not consistent with the heart of God. And sometimes it's just plain inaccurate because it's also out of context, which is not representative of God either. So do we really know who Jesus is? Or do we think that Jesus is someone else whom we've created in our own minds like those inside of the Jerusalem walls. Mark chapter 8, verse 31 reads this, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. So we hear of people putting conditions on God. If God were real, we hear this all the time, don't we? When, we, when you're talking to me. If God's real, then how can God ever let these painful events happen? How can God let all this suffering in the world happen? But here's the thing. The, the, thing, the, the scriptures are really plain that Jesus himself suffered many things. And sometimes people make up their own gods and, and they want them to be, uh, they want God to act a certain way or be a certain way. And so Jesus is God, and he has explicitly shared with us that he himself suffered many things and we will be killed. He is someone who understands our pain. He understands our suffering. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Sometimes we're like those inside of Jerusalem who shout, crucify him. When Jesus did not fit their expectations to overthrow Rome for, for political reform, to alleviate them from suffering and pain and oppression, not realizing that he did deliver them. 
He did do that. Jesus did redeem them from their bondage. Not one that was temporary and one that would end with their physical death, but one that is an everlasting one that that would live on with them forever. And so people do the same thing today. I don't like how God is doing things. I I don't like how things are, are politically I don't like the injustices of the world. I I don't like all the suffering and the oppression. God doesn't either. He doesn't either. That's why he sent Jesus. And so those things that so many people want, like peace and justice, are just temporary things in this broken world that, that if the foundational underpinnings of those things aren't addressed, which is sin... The sin of the world and the sin within each one of us brings about that brokenness and that darkness. He came to address those things and is continually inviting us to go to him to be able to deal with these things. But we impose our own expectations. We impose our own expectations without all of the facts throughout the history of time. And with these very temporary mindsets like those in Jerusalem who couldn't imagine that this carpenter's son who was educated in Galilee, who was born of an unwed mother, who was not rich, could possibly lead them out of political oppression and suffering. That is not possible. They they couldn't understand how Messiah could, could show up like this. Much like there are people today who doubt the existence of God because of their expectations of God, which aren't met. They think God should be in such a way. See, we're fooled by our own expectations. How can God show up riding on a baby donkey? How can God show up like that? With this entourage of fishermen, a tax collector, a zealot, and this this motley crew of people, it should be a a white stallion, right, With, with a militia, a powerful military entourage behind him. See, what, what kind of expectations of God are fooling us into a false impression of who God really is? We need a more accurate picture of who Jesus really is. And, and it's more than knowing our Bibles academically and intellectually. It's knowing our living Bibles in an intimate way so that it transforms us more and more into the likeness of Jesus to engage with our living Bibles in practice and in application and not just something to pass over as the next thing to read for the next verse or the next chapter or the next book. I I think the entire Bible can be summed up in a sentence. It's a living book about God And how everyone and everything else wants to take God's place on the throne to his kingdom. Like, I think that encapsulates what it is. So we have sinned and we have rebellion in an attempt to overthrow God, which which has caused a separation between God and us. And God does not want that separation from those that he loves. So Jesus comes as our mediator to reconcile our relationship with God. The penalty for treason is death. 
or eternal separation from the kingdom. And Jesus paid that penalty through his own life on the cross to give us a righteous standing before a holy God, which we don't deserve. It's all his grace. It's all his mercy. So do we know the real Jesus? Are we painting someone else? See, I, I think there, there's a God that some people have made up in their head to fit their own political leanings or their ideas of justice or whatever we've made up in our own heads. Who Jesus really is is who we are to strive for. Otherwise, we, we may be like the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, who even after the resurrection, they don't understand who Jesus really is, and they ask the wrong question. They ask this, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? See, they don't get it. And, and even though some of us may know our Bibles, are we asking God the wrong questions because we still don't really know who Jesus is? And it wasn't until the disciples received the power of the Holy Spirit that, that things were made clearer for them. And so how we need the Holy Spirit to help move us past our, our intellect, which can stop us. To move us past our, our feelings, which can stop us. To empower us to be witnesses of Jesus wherever we go. If you haven't received the power of the Holy Spirit, ask for it. Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 13. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. See, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What, what father among you, if his sons ask for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ask. Ask. And through the Holy Spirit, we will gain a deeper, clearer picture and understanding of who Jesus really is. Then, then our picture may be changed from our own expectations, our own political leanings, our ideas of justice into who Jesus really is. Which may affirm the picture you have of Jesus already or it will alter it. If the, if the disciples who experienced Jesus' resurrection firsthand, they were there who lived with Jesus for three years, didn't get who Jesus really was. Don't you think there is a likelihood that who we think Jesus really is can be off as well? You see how we need the Holy Spirit, and yet so often we are so self-reliant. We, we rely on ourselves so much to interpret the Bible, to live out the scriptures when we really need to rely on God and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Then we'll be able to see who Jesus really is. Our God who rode on a baby donkey. He, he rode into Jerusalem gentle, lowly, and humble. Not as a conqueror seeking war. Jesus came into our world gentle, lowly, and humble in heart, seeking to gift peace to everyone. 
He came to speak peace to the nations, to rule from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth, as the prophet Isaiah, uh, Zechariah prophesied. And so we lose our ability to speak peace to the nations when we make Jesus who we want him to be, rather than having him be who he really is. That even when we think that we're right, we're wrong. May we continue to learn from the real Jesus and not who we expect him to be. May we grow in love for the real Jesus and not who we've made him up to be in our heads. His kingdom is really what we ultimately want because his kingdom is made up of every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people. And so no matter who you are, you are included. You are invited into this kingdom. Let us not live the same way we have lived in past years. Let's, let's learn and grow in Jesus. Let's be transformed more into the likeness of him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And God, we ask that this would be a, a pivotal day for us, just as the triumphal entry was in time everlasting. That when people tried to crown you king, that you knew it was not time. And you knew it was not the type of king that they were looking for. And so, God, would you help transform our minds to see you for who you really are and not to place you in a place that is temporary, that is outside of your plan because you see all time. And so we believe in you, God, and we believe that you have love at peace in store for your world. In Jesus' name, amen.